God used me to lead that heartfelt prayer. So I'm Franklin Bennett. Thank you all for being here this morning. Just pulled back up here. Um, I don't know about y'all, the drive-in this morning I thought was just beautiful. It's been a great morning already if you've been to first service. And just, uh, I had to go actually run by my school. I teach at Lipscomb Academy. I had to go get my power cord so that the presentation would make it through this morning. And got to t- take a little bit prettier drive down Franklin Road, just seeing all the green and the renewal this time of year and rebirth. Um, and thinking about this class um, and kind of how God wants to use this church and this class for renewal and rebirth. And, um, and then hearing you know, Josh's sermon this morning and him talking at the end there about, and if you haven't heard it yet, it's not a spoiler or anything, but about how God wants to use our pains and disappointment and hurts to draw us closer to Him. Um, and today we're going to talk about entanglement and just, just think how the Holy Spirit works, I think, that, that Satan would like to use our pains and our hurts and our disappointments to, to pull us away from God, but God has a plan for those as well. And, um, just, I just thought it was neat just how how the Holy Spirit's working through this class, working through Josh, working through this church, working, you know, around Nashville to bring to bring people closer to Him. Um, and then thinking, you know, about last week in review, uh, I don't know if you, if you remember first service, Nancy Morrison did the uh, communion thoughts, and it just went right along with last week's lesson that Jeannie did a great job with. Um, she, she just talked about how we all have woundings, um, and that the only way to heal from a wounding is through forgiveness. Uh, that's kind of a a framework we use in freedom prayer of, of asking God what the wounding is, getting his perspective on that, and, and forgiving to get healing from that wounding. Um, so again, just the spirit working through that. Jeannie, again, did a great job last week. Um, if, you didn't, if you weren't here or you didn't listen to it this week, it's worth it um, for the lost dog story alone to go listen to last week. Uh, <laughs> She's told that story before in, in a similar class, and I, I told it. I told her story to other people several times for hearing that and about the, the daughter crying, Mommy, your body was going up and down. <laughs> if you didn't hear it, I just ruined the punchline, but, but go back and listen to it. Um, so last week, Jeannie talked about wounding, and we've been working through Luke 15 and the parable of uh, the lost coin, uh, the lost sheep we'll do today, and talk about entanglement, uh, the prodigal son and the older brother. And so the lost coin represents a wounding. Um, and Jeannie said it was lost through no fault of its own. Um, the woundings could be you know, physical abuse, mental abuse, uh, generational uh, sin, uh, an authoritative <coughs> authority figure, a harsh authority figure, uh, any myriad of what the woundings could be in our life. But in the story, in the parable, God, as a woman in, in this parable, representing kind of the Holy Spirit, the, the warm, caring, nurturing Holy Spirit, lights a lamp, it brings revelation to the situation, sweeps the house clean, removes the filth and the pain of that wounding, finds the coin, you know, searches until she finds it, shows that it's worth the effort, and then rejoices with friends and neighbors and gives, that's the giving affirmation and restoration. And so following kind of that model from the story, and Jeannie, Jeannie went through some questions that we might ask in a freedom prayer session um, last week as well. And just since this class is kind of tied to freedom prayer and thinking about what, what woundings look like when they come up in a freedom prayer session. Um, sometimes a participant will come in with a wounding on their mind. They know what it is, and it's, it's, it's clear to them, and they, they come in talking about that wounding. Sometimes they'll ask God why they're 
always angry or why they always feel slighted or why they get defensive. And God will bring to mind a past wounding. Um, and, and then in a freedom prayer session, we have them ask God what they felt when that wounding happened to kind of get, get where the, what's, what, that, what that wounding is producing in them. We help the person count up the debt they felt was owed to them by the offender. So if it was a harsh authority figure, maybe a coach or something like that who belittled them, we have the person count up what that coach owed them. But what, what should that coach have been like? What was the debt list that, that that person owed them? And then we ask Jesus, is that all? Did that person owe them anything, anything else? And when, when Jesus kind of says, that's, that's it, then we, we have the person just kind of in their mind's eye, write cancel on that list and then pass it to Jesus. And it's kind of neat when, we, when they say, when we have them ask Jesus, can I pass that to you? The ways that he'll, you know, take it, you know, throw it over his shoulder or stick it in his pocket or just burn it. The person says, I see him, you know, just kind of throw it over his shoulder or, or swipe it off the table. Like, he's, he's got this. He's, he's going to take care of it. We release, we have the person walk through releasing the person that caused the wounding from their judgment and declaring that it no longer has power over them. So that, that person inflicted a wound on them. They may have held them in judgment. We, we have them declare, I no longer hold them in my judgment. I give them a clean slate. Uh, that wounding no longer has power over me. And then we ask Jesus what he wants to give in place of the debt we're holding on to. And often he, he comes back with, I want, to be, I want to be your coach in life, or I want to be your father and teach you from this point forward. It's just neat the, the perspective the person gets back from the place where that debt was, that debt was sitting on them, the place they were holding on to. They give that up. And Jesus, of course, wants to fill that with something better than what they gave up. So that's kind of just a, a review of, of what a wounding might look like uh, in a freedom prayer session. Franklin, in yep. two weeks, uh, Greg and I are going to come back and revisit how forgiveness works because it's so key to, to get how you forgive. Because once you get it, you go, oh my gosh, this is so freeing. So we're going to come back in two weeks and talk more about that. That's good. But thanks for the, for the review. Yeah. So this week we're going to go move into entanglement. And, and we use the parable of the lost sheep um, as we talk about entanglement. So uh, the parable says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. So in this story, we're the sheep, obviously. And what do we know about sheep? What are some things we know about sheep? You've heard you've heard this analogy before, I'm sure. But what are sheep like? Not very bright. Not very bright. Yeah. They follow. Follow. Maybe not necessarily even the shepherd. They will follow the shepherd. They also follow. Oh, a leaf flew by. Maybe follow. You know, follow something they weren't supposed to follow. So I think it's just funny, and interesting that we're the sheep in this. Jesus loves us. He's our shepherd. We know his voice, but we can get you know, easily distracted. We follow, and sometimes we follow the wrong things. Uh, yeah. So we have sheep on, on property that we, we live on, not our sheep. And some of them got out of the fence, and I'm coming down the driveway, and they see the car, and they start running toward the road to escape the car. And I'm like, you idiots. <laughs> so I had to get out of the car, sneak around, and scare them back into the fence. And I was just like, okay, they're perfect. I should have filmed the whole thing. It was like, oh, that's great. Yeah, show the video. That's great. So in, 
in the parable and kind of breaking it down, the sheep wanders away from the flock, maybe through a combination of ignorance or naive rebellion or carelessness. Uh, comparing it to the lost coin, not quite as innocent as the lost coin. There was some, some part the sheep played in that to wander off. But it gets lost and some re- for some reason can't find its way back to the flock. Uh, maybe it gets entangled or ensnared somewhere and is confused and lost and doesn't know that there's a roaring lion out there prowling around for someone to devour. And so God, as the good shepherd, knows the sheep is missing, first of all. Knows that it's gotten lost and places great value on it. He's going to leave the 99 and go find the one sheep. Um, he places it on his shoulders. And, and that, that part escaped me for until recently, actually. You know, think about, okay, God's got me. He put me on, my, on his shoulders. But also, the sheep doesn't only get carried off and, and God's doing the work. But also the sheep, especially this picture kind of shows that the sheep gets God's perspective. That now the sheep gets to see things from the way Jesus sees them. I think that's important uh, in the parable. That's good. Um, Franklin, I was just thinking about how much a past stage, but how much our girls loved riding on shoulders. You know, I think there's something that we can explore there with the perspective and the feeling and comfort. And that's good. That's good. That's really good, yeah. Um, and then he brings it home, rejoices over it, throws a party with his friends and neighbors, a celebration. He doesn't blame or belittle the sheep, you know, brand it or, or put a leash on it or a, or a muzzle on it. You're going to follow me, you know, get over here now. It's still his, his sheep that he loves. Um, the, the wandering off, the entanglement, did the teaching for the sheep. It was lost and scared and confused and knows that it doesn't want to do that again. It would rather stay close to the shepherd. It's safer there. So how do we relate this to our lives? And how does Satan try to get us entangled and pulled away from the good shepherd? So you may have heard any talk about, and, and just kind of we know there's a cause and effect in the spirit world, and Satan is an opportunist and a legalist. So we know there's forces at work in the world that are unseen, forces of good, forces of evil. And Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for the opportunity to get us entangled. And he's a legalist. Because there is a cause and effect. What you reap, what you sow is an example. If I reap good things, I sow good things. If I reap sin, I'm going to sow the consequences. There's that kind of cause and effect in the spirit world, like gravity in our world. Um, it just happens. If God drops this off the table, it's going to fall to the ground. You reap what you sow. That kind of cause and effect. And so Satan knows that our words matter. That my <coughs> vows and curses, encouragements are important in the kingdom of heaven. And Satan knows that, and so he attacks that area. And our words matter because we are, we're God's type. We're made in God's image. We're like God. The God who spoke in creation comes about. The God who tells us, when you pray, you'll, you'll have the faith to move mountains. That our words have that kind of power. Um, and since Satan's a legalist, he knows that, okay, your words matter, so I'm listening for you to mess up. I'm listening for you to make a vow, to say something that I can... I can move in and I can have my way because you didn't follow what you, what you said you would do. You said this, but you did this. And so that gives, gives me a foothold um, in your life. So some examples of this, what entanglement might look like. Swearing to dark organizations. Self-cursing and cursing another. 
cursing God, generational sin, childhood agreements with imaginary friends for protection. A kid has a, a nightmare and wakes up and has an imaginary friend, asks the friend to, to protect them. You know, what, what, what happens in that, in that interaction? Holding people in judgment, occult dabbling, Ouija boards, seances, where you're saying things that you're not talking to God and you're talking to some other kind of spirit and you're, giving, you're inviting that into your life. Sexual soul ties outside of marriage. Um, other kinds of soul ties. And we're going to look at some specific examples of some of these. So Satan's given an opportunity to entangle by our invitation in a vow or a curse or by proximity to dark forces. Um, a kid who... Uh, is too young and sees a, an awful horror movie and a fear sets in in them. An, an unnatural, unhealthy fear because of these, these images they saw. Satan, because of the proximity, was allowed into their life. So again, we're the sheep and we're the ones that are getting entangled. So here's a few examples from Scripture what this might, looks like, might look like. Saul and the witch of Endor. Um, so Saul had banished all the mediums from uh, the kingdom. You know, he he, he got, got rid of them. But he sees the Philistine army and the Philistines coming to attack and he gets scared and he calls out to God, but God isn't giving him an answer. And so Saul tells his men, find me a medium. Find me someone to go talk to. And he goes, his men finds one. He tells her to summon Samuel and she does it. Kind of to her surprise almost. You know, <laughs> it really is it's working, Samuel. Um, and so Saul has put himself in a, in a proximity of some kind of dark force, and he's given Satan the opportunity he was looking for by reaching out and connecting with this dark force. And now he's, there's some kind of entanglement that Saul's got himself in because of this reaching out to this, to this medium. Another example, uh, Jesus telling us, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and that anything outside of this is from the evil one. So we say something like, I swear I'm never going to be like my father, or I swear I'm never going to be like my mother. And Satan hears that, sleeps in, says, I'm going to hold you to that. You, you, you said it, you swore it, you made a vow. If you don't do it, then I'm going to just guide you to every worst part of your mother, every worst part of your father. Because your words matter, and since you didn't keep that, I'm going to have influence over you in that area. And all of a sudden I'm doing all the things my mother or father, whoever it was, that I didn't want to do. It seems like I can't help but doing them. Seems like it's overpowering me. I can't, I can't make myself stop doing it. Or Peter is another example, um, who says to Jesus, "Even if, if I have to go to prison and die with you, I will never leave you." And Jesus tells him, "Peter, Satan's asked, asked to sift you." And because of Peter's arrogance and his vow, he's given Satan an end with him. And Jesus prays that his faith will not fail. And when he turns back to strengthen his brothers, but Peter's words and his arrogance kind of gave that devil, the devil that foothold. And the one other that someone shared with me a couple weeks ago, uh, this is the Old Testament, but Numbers 30, that I never really paid attention to or seen before, but I thought it was interesting talking about vows and entanglements. And it just says, Moses said to the heads of the tribes of Israel, this is what the Lord commands. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. When a young woman, still living in her father's household, makes a vow to the Lord or obligates herself by a pledge, and her father hears about her vow or pledge, but says nothing to her, 
then all her vows and every pledge by which she obligated herself will stand. But if her father forbids her when he hears about it, none of her vows or the pledges by which she obligated herself will stand. The Lord will release her because her father has forbidden her. And just something about the connection between the vows and having to keep it and, and the responsibility of parents. It just hit me in reading this a couple weeks ago that I have a responsibility as a father of two little girls that when I hear my daughter say, I'm never going to be a good writer, to, to step in there and to, to help her correct that. To not let those vows just kind of slide by, which I'm, I'm sure I've done in the past, but, but be, have my ears, ask God to tune my ears to hear those vows that my daughters might be making and stepping in and saying, no, you can do this. This is not what God wants for you. And, and steering away from that. What if they're positive vows?
in that paragraph there, verse 21, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, I love this part, you will not be guilty. So keep your mouth shut. Whatever your lips utter, you will surely do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. I know that's Old Testament. But it just, yeah. you don't have to make a vow. Yeah, let's your yes be yes. We just studied that in my community Bible study on Friday. And yeah. That was where we kind of, That's good. so many times we use language that we really do not have mm -hmm. to use. That's great, yeah, it's really good. I think even, um, I know some of the people made a vow a little bit like that, but, um, and it was a good vow, but, Satan then brought up every time she failed to meet that vow to the point where it, it kind of took her down to a really dark place. And and so and maybe that's why it's better to just not make them at all and just do it. But um, the, even a, even good things like like say I would, if I was if I made a vow that I'm a good speaker and God can speak to me, but then let that other voice come in and tear it down. And you know what I'm trying mm -hmm. to say. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's good. That is good. Really good. Words. No, that's good. <laughs> They're powerful. Well, here, here's one that is <laughs> epidemic in some circles, and that is we're just sinners saved by grace. Mm -hmm. And you go, that's not who God calls us. That's who I was, but that's not who I am. And it sounds holy until you realize that is a dark lie that is perpetrated in the church disguised as humility. And it's not. Right? You go, oh. <laughs> wow, that's, that's been my tradition. And it seems like humility, but go see who God calls you and then agree with that. It's a very different story. Because you become what you behold. And if we behold a, a caricature painting of me as a sinner, just a sinner, I'm just a sinner, I'm just a sinner. God's like, why are you beholding that? Behold what I've called you and become that, right? And that's entanglement. That, that is like another example of entanglement where, you, and it sounds like you're bragging when you agree with God. And God says, I brag about you, agree with me, right? It's like, oh, okay. And that's a beautiful way of seeing how you're entangled because you know you get kind of mired in there and that that I'm just that seems like humility and the devil sits there so pleased because you're never going to become what God created you to be because all you see yourself as is a sinner saved by grace and I couldn't accomplish the things um, that that Paul did or that in, in any great person that was like that's not me because I know yeah. my faults too well and it goes back to that walking on the water image that we started with a few weeks ago. What is our faith in? Our ability to fall or God's ability to create in us something more um, than we could ever ask or imagine? It's good. Yeah, to me, you know, the first few parts of this parable we've done, sin, I get that. Woundings, I get that. And then you might not come here thinking about we're talking about vows today. That one seemed off my radar. But in thinking and preparing about this, I thought of in the training for Freedom Prayer, the Freedom Prayer team and our training and early on, I remember seeing Scott in the hallway and just saying, I'm never going to be able to do that like Andy and Jen do it, lead, lead a Freedom Prayer session. And then going back and, and studying this and, and hearing through a training, 
it just came back to me. You made that vow. You said, I'm never going to be able to do this. And so I had to, we're going we're gonna to go through in a free and fair session kind of how we would break these vows. What do we do when I realize this vow has come to my mind? There's a couple other examples before we uh, get to that. So someone having horrible nightmares, and they don't think much about it, but these nightmares are just kind of plaguing them, and happen to find out that their grandfather was a Freemason. And they kind of look into that and realize some of the vows that Freemasons take when they join that organization. Dark things about what will happen to their children. Um, and so that generational sin has impacted their life. And they're, they're, it's entangled them. Um, or fraternities and sororities. You may have been a part of one where you made some vows that, looking back, sound really strange. And why did I say that? Um, and that may have given devil, the devil a foothold uh, in that area. Um, a married man or woman who begins to share stories and secrets with someone besides their wife outside of their marriage, maybe a coworker or a friend from church, um, and they just think, you know, we're good friends, we just get along, we connect, uh, but they start, you know, texting each other, not telling their spouse about that kind of thing, joking inappropriately, going to the to this friend instead of their spouse when they have a problem sharing with them things that should be shared with their spouse. And before even any physical affair has happened, there's a soul tie that's, that's, that's bonding, that's developing there, that's entangling them um, and, and giving Satan a foothold. And then one more, we talked about you know, mothers and fathers. This was from a training a couple weeks ago. Just kind of a, doesn't, no one in particular does not represent someone specifically, but just an example of uh, a vow. So this person comes in and says, I signed up for prayer because I'm exhausted and bitter and fed up. I find myself yelling and screaming all day at my kids, and it's like I'm seeing myself from the outside looking in, wondering, who is this person I've become? How did I get here? I feel taken for granted and out of control. Every time something goes wrong in my home, I can hear my mother's voice, even if she's not there, criticizing and condemning telling me I'm doing it wrong and I'm not good enough. In discussions with my husband, I feel like I, I can't find my voice. All I hear is what my mom would do in that situation, not even what I would do or say. I feel stuck and angry because I vowed that I would never turn out like my mom. And I find myself doing the same thing she did growing up. Sometimes I don't even trust myself to make decisions. So I literally find myself calling her and asking her opinion even though I feel awful after the conversation. My husband is frustrated because he says she's like a third member in our marriage. Everything needs to be run by my mom first. I feel like the more I try to distance myself from her, the guiltier and angrier I become. And so you heard that I made a vow I would never be like her. And Satan's got an end there, and he's, he's steering her right toward that. So in a free and prayer session, I'm sorry. Hey, Frank, while you're yeah, transitioning, the, the third picture up there I thought was really good, too, because I think a lot of people um, can sense, like, your, your, your blood pressure rising, um, whether it's in traffic, and someone, like, why am I so offended by other people's driving? Why is it so personally directed toward me? Um, why do I get angry? Um, you know, in, in a, like, 
when you're really starting to watch your life, why did I get mad at that salesperson? Why was I offended like they were trying to slow me down or um, like, like that? That was a, a casual remark and I took it totally the wrong way. And so as we start um, trying to look and, 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 and to walk in the spirit, being sensitive to those kinds of things, that is one of the things that might say, hey, I need to pray with somebody about this because this is a pattern. I see myself having a hard time with anger or frustration, and it might be in regards to raising children. I know some of that is natural, but some of that has another, you know, there may be another something to root out there. Um, and so, like, that slide didn't, you know, that, that part of it we didn't really talk about, I think most of us can probably recognize there are times when that is not the best me. That is not me wanting to bless and to be the salt and the light. What is that? Um, and that's why, like, freedom, prayer, and community is so important, because then you have some, you, have a, you know what to do with that. Instead of just rest, continuing to wrestle with it, say, hey, let's just really try to, to get at this together. Yeah, yeah. we always know where that's coming from. It's, yeah. it's good to be in a community of people to help us work through that, which is what we would do in a freedom prayer session. So if someone comes in to a session, and just to give you insight, if you haven't done a freedom prayer session or you're wondering, you know, what is that? You know, woundings come up, sin comes up sometimes, ungodly beliefs often are tied to a lot of these, and sometimes entanglements. So a person comes in and they have a scenario like the one I just read. We would have them ask God, is there any reason, you know, why I chose that? Why did I make that vow? Uh, we would have them renounce or break agreement with the entanglement. So recognizing before God, God, I made that vow and I didn't know what I was doing. I renounce or I break agreement with that entanglement. Um, and I declare that it no longer has power over me. By the power of Jesus, it does not have power over me anymore. We let Jesus take or bear the consequences. So we get, again, like that sheep putting on the shoulders, we get his perspective on it. What would you say is a uh, difference or a fine line maybe between making a vow and having a, a goal, a long-term goal? That's a good, good question. Andy? Scott? So when we set goals, we can either do it in sort of a, a, a vacuum, or we could say, God, does this feel, how does this feel to you? God, I sense you're calling me in this direction. God never said, he never said that much about people's destinations. He always said a lot of things about their direction. Like he said to Moses, okay, you're going to go to Egypt. He said to Abraham, go north. And sometimes our goals become things that we set that God doesn't set, and then we get frustrated because we don't we don't sense his support in meeting those things. But I, so for me, it's like, God, I sense you're calling me in this direction. This is a strength in my life. My goal is to walk with you in that direction and see where you're taking me. That is a goal that's open-ended and leaves God lots of room. Do you see the difference? Yeah, okay. yeah you know, I'm just trying to uh, link it back to a vow. Uh, I guess you could almost say like vow in this sense is kind of where it's more... Yeah, so it's maybe not in step with God. It maybe even has some, uh, yeah, most of it. Yeah, like, I'm going to be the vice president of this bank. And God's yeah. like, you are going to win a Nobel Prize in chemistry. How the heck am I going to get you out of this bank? You know, it's like, ah! So it's just, I would just be very careful about 
setting goals <coughs> that put walls around them? Yeah, I've heard Jen talk about, like, in Nashville and, and her work with Ethos, a lot of people who are there because I know I'm going to be famous. And they're, yeah. they're on that, that that's the, the vow they've made. I, I know God wants me to be famous. And breaking that and seeing, getting God's perspective on what he really yeah. wants them to do. Yeah, uh, so you prefaced all of this with vows with, like, we're like sheep or like children. So who is holding us accountable for vows we make in our youth? So if, we're, if God has compassion for us like sheep or children and knows we say silly things in our youth, or even when we're older, why would God then hold you accountable for things you say in your ignorance as like a child or a sheep or dumb things that you do as if you're fully conscious? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. It's, it's, yeah. Like, it's like, if I'm going to hold you to this vow, even though you really don't know what you're saying, you know, my two-year-old says dumb stuff too. Mm -hmm. And if we're like two-year-olds to God, I, I don't hold my two-year-old to the same level of understanding as I to hold myself. So that makes sense for me. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So who's holding who accountable here? Yeah. Is, is it Satan saying, you said this and therefore I'm going to use it against you, or is it God holding you to that mm. and therefore, you know, I'm God and so you have to. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, so who holds you accountable for gravity? Right? And so in some things, there is a law of sowing and reaping that works in the earth and, and it just does. Okay, so that's one piece. Another piece is with children, when they say something, they believe it. And because they don't have a lot of material, so, so they believe it and they begin to live out of their belief. And that living out of that belief begins to steer the course of their life. And Satan watches and goes, this is an opportunity for me to take that belief and to exaggerate it and to imprison them in it. And so there, there's like, four or five things that work. And sometimes in a freedom prayer session, you can kind of sort it out. But what we can't say is, God did this, or Satan did this. There, there's like, okay, this is happening. We don't think it's God's will. Our goal is not necessarily to unravel what's happening. It's to stop what's happening, right? When we, when we try to say, when we try to figure out the exact cause and effect, we, we get wrapped around the axle and we lose sight of the idea of, okay, the car's broken down, now I can go try to blame my wife for not changing the oil, me for speeding, the city for the potholes in the road, or I can fix the car. What we're about doing is saying, this is broken and it's not working. God, what do you want to show us about why or where? And we're going to agree with you. And we find ourselves free and we go, I don't have to understand all the ins and outs of it. I do understand my freedom. I don't. That's not how it's very satisfying for a very analytical mind like yours and yeah, mine. Yeah. What if you're wired to try to understand all the? And, and I am too. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally wired. Yeah. And some of that is I have to give up, and then God will circle back around and give you this crazy insight, and you go. But if you demand to know, rather than just asking God for the freedom to be free. Sometimes that demand just gets me into this kind of legal trap that's not good. Sure. Right? The mind is the servant of the spirit. And when our minds become the master of the spirit, we become two-dimensional. Really smart two-dimensional, but two-dimensional. And God wants to help us to take a step back. So, so you are... We really should get caught in want. Yeah, I don't want to... He's, he's got to get Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but I would love to do it. <laughs> 
Jay wants to come along too. <laughs> yeah, and to me, it doesn't seem fair that Satan attacks the young when they're young, but I understand that there's abuse, you know, kids are physically abused, sexually abused at young ages, and that impacts the trajectory of their life. And Satan's about getting us when we're young. I don't know the connection, I mean, what, who's doing the work either or, or where that's coming from, but he seems to attack the young. And usually the vow has a lie that is, is, is being attacked attached to that and so it's it's more about what you believe about yourself too and that's the method um, because the power that you're really holding yourself to that vow even if you don't know it even if you don't recognize it like with parenting I'm not going to be the kind of parent that does this and then when you 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 realize it's not that the power, uh, the vow had the power so much as what I believe about the experience or about the vow. Um, like, I don't want to make my children feel like that. Um, and so it was out of a, like kind of a righteous idea. Um, but then um, you are, you are, it's, it's complicated. Um, but in some way, if you make that vow, you are holding yourself like, I can't believe I, those words came out of my mouth. Um, it's like my, my dad. Like, how did that happen? Um, and so, it's an interesting thing, and as we're looking at um, the first bullet point here, one of the things that I would say, like in a freedom prayer session, one of the most helpful things that I thought about, when you get in an entanglement um, kind of situation, it feels so murky, and there's so many different issues that seem to be presenting, and like one of the biggest challenges when you're praying with people and trying to help them find freedom is you step, sometimes it's really clear, and then other times, it's like, I don't even know where to start, like what is going on? And um, Jen talks about there being like, a, you find a string, and when you pull it, it unravels everything. Like there's one thing, and a lot of times what that looks like is an overarching lie. Like I'm not good enough. And from that then comes all of these different kinds of um, woundings and maybe entanglement issues or soul ties. Um, I, I still hear my mother's voice because it was so harsh and critical all the time. Um, and so I need, like, at that stage you go back and you may do some forgiveness and then you may find other things. Um, but, like, one of the things in freedom prayer, and if you're in it, if you feel entangled, it's probably not just a one and done. There are a lot of issues that, that we go at um, and, 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 and you get freedom in one area and then you find, oh, there's more work to be done, right? And so... Um, in looking like the analytical, I, I love the way that you were just saying, because I have an analytical mind also. Sometimes it's more like when Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, we have to be trusting. You know, we want to go back to that. Like, God is good. One of the foundational truths, God is good. Um, we know Satan's goal is to, to, to rob, kill, and destroy. That's not God's intention. And what is this, what's being sown, um, what's being reaped in my life from this, held belief or this promise that I made, can that be from God uh, or not? And so reflecting in that way and just saying, I'm going to believe in your goodness and your, your truth for who you say I am instead of holding myself to this standard that I'm going to be better than my parent or someone else. Because what's the motivation? Who's being exalted um, in that? So we, we don't have a whole lot of time. I don't even know if it's the next slide yeah, it is. or not. Okay, so one of the things in Freedom Prayer, and, and we're just trying to think about how can we practically help you, even if you're not part of the Freedom Prayer team, uh, in thinking about how do I walk through um, experiencing more freedom in my life. And one of the things, as you become a community that prays together, uh, you know, we're very familiar. We may not like to do it, but we know going to the doctor, it's something, you know, we do checkups. 
uh, because things can happen uh, unbeknownst to us. That Let me ask you a question. Yeah, yeah quickly. Um, I'm looking at the time, and this is so cool. We've got a free week, a week or two after Easter. Do you two want to come back and do the four doors? Scott thing? does. Scott. <laughs> Scott. Can we do it together? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Yes, that'd be great. This is the examples in here would be really, really okay. telling. Okay, yeah, let's, and I think after the father ladder, we can come back okay. and say, okay, let's take sexual sin, okay. and let's just see how you clean out that whole room okay. in your Very life. Very good. And we, just, we can just, we'll just show you what these are, and there'll be like a preview yeah. for what we can hey, do in two yeah, weeks. Yes. I feel like this moves so fast. There's so much mm -hmm. going on. And yeah. I don't feel like we're able to digest all that you're giving us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it, to me, this discussion is overwhelming about these vows. I mean, and I, what is a vow? I mean, there's so many, there's definitions of vows and what are they your thoughts? I mean, we all have different thoughts, like mm -hmm. I'm not going to be like my dad mm -hmm. or my mother or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be paralyzing to feel like all your thoughts you've got to analyze. Now, did I foul that or was that? Yeah. And I don't think that's how we're supposed to live. Oh, to no. me, that is just scary. A lot of fear, fear based. Yeah. yeah, and if that's the if that's the interpretation that you're getting, that's what that's I'm, the that's that's the total opposite of what we would be be and, looking for. Um, but that's that's what it feels. It's almost like you've got to be careful everything you think you say. Well, uh, but let me finish. <coughs> let me finish. Yeah, and, so I, I can uh, help you with that thought. I, I think that one, we're not in it alone. Oh, no, Satan's just not there ready. To, I feel like we've been protected as children, as adults, and I think that's important to realize. Absolutely. And then, I don't think I think we can take ourselves too seriously. I mean, if uh, uh, if you know, eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, I think sometimes if you worry about everything you're going to say or do, we might be putting too much emphasis on ourselves and not that spirit that's within us or God that's working with us. Right. Uh, so those are my thoughts with this discussion that it puts a lot of pressure on our who we are and we have to to me it's like so we gotta be careful everything we say, we think and okay. And that's not free. Right? And that's right. not free. Right. <laughs> right. So what what triggers and this isn't a big advertisement for freedom prayer, but what triggers a session where you go to somebody's is something's not going well in your life. Okay? You've had a million thoughts, and two of them, it's like I've gotten cut a bunch of times, but I've never gotten gangrene. Well, so, but if I did get gangrene, it would have been that cut that did it. And so we do a lot of things that are kind of empty words. Okay. Now God did say our warfare is not against flesh and blood, powers of principalities. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay? So, so we, we got to look at that. We have to say, what God says is, is I, exactly what you said, I, through your spirit and my spirit, in your spirit, will set a guard. And when something trips a flare, I'll let you know. The only thing you need to do is to say, God, I want to walk aware of you. And when something, uh, when something trips a flare inside of me, I go, ooh, what was that? You stop and you look at it. 
So the whole stream goes by, nothing's tripping a flare, your mind is generally, you're, you're walking, you know, I'm, I'm walking with God, but it's not like I'm super religious, I just, he's just my best friend, he's in me. But when something trips a flare, so you did the traffic thing, okay, so I was in traffic, some knucklehead pulled out right in front of me, I went like that, and I started to drive, and there's a ooh inside, okay, ooh, and I said, I am so sorry, Jesus, is there anything you want to show me about that anger? And most of the trip home, we had, we had a discussion. Okay, I talked to my wife a little bit later. And it was great, because all of a sudden I went, ooh, that's what that is. I do that with my kids, too. Huh. Okay, and but, so... But it's a pattern. It's right. a pattern. And sometimes I think you've got to think about, is this a pattern or is this a random thing? Right, so... Otherwise, you're going to be... You're gonna be right, so that's what I mean, that fruit triggers it, right? Yeah. You recognize something's not right, you recognize a pattern, and you say, I need help. But I think you need to think about, is, is this a pattern, or just yeah. a random thing? But everything like, started somewhere. Yeah. Every pattern started with something. And that's where we're going. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the discussion. Look at your children. We should just...